Ask not what your country can do for you. There's a last time I've got to be in the lead. The Giants won the toss. Peter, oh, you little mouse, so won't you go away? One ringy-dingy. Hand off to Griffin, cracks the middle, gets the five. Touchdown, Ohio State. Oklahoma, where the wind comes sweeping down the plane. I'm interested to know, Gracie, who's your choice? Need you ask, George. Time now for Spinning My Dad's Vinyl. Here with all his skips, scratches, and pops is my dad, Frank Vaccarello. Thanks, Weedy. And thank you for tuning into episode 32 of Spinning My Dad's Vinyl. We are returning to the Smithsonian Collection, a part of my dad's collection, the greatest jazz recordings of all time. This episode is record one of a four-record box set that features a piano player on each disc. So, get ready for one of the original cutters in Volume 32, Jazz Keyboard Master, Fats Waller. Well, the Smithsonian collections include a real nice booklet for each box set, and I'll use these notes to introduce each song. I'll be talking about cutting contests more in-depth later in this episode, but this is what these notes are referring to. Handful of Keys is one of these competitive fingerbusters, and in 1940, Waller named this version of it as his favorite of all the hundreds of recordings he had made. It is easy to understand why. Full of vitality and impetuous virtuosity, it summarizes the merits of stride while simultaneously showing what it meant then to play hot and swing. The prime characteristic of Stride was a chord alternating with single bass note in the left hand, but Waller's big hands enabled him to employ tenths, which gave his music an exceptionally powerful pulse. As will be heard in other performances, he was really a rhythm section by himself.
Just Fats on Piano with his self-penned tune, Handful of Keys, recorded March 1st, 1929. In fact, Waller wrote all but one of the songs on this episode, and of course, I will point that one out to you. All right, why this album? Well, as I described in an earlier episode, the Smithsonian part of my dad's collection actually started with me. He had to finish purchasing the collection. The red records and the brown boxes have always been a favorite of mine to slap on the turntable. And just to prove to you I don't only listen to trumpet players within the jazz genre, because I do like all instruments. And Fats wrote a tune that many have covered, including my favorite version by Hank Williams Jr. All right, on to the next song. Honeysuckle Rose written in 1929, became the most popular of all Waller's compositions, particularly among musicians. He recorded it himself several times, always differently, and was obliged to play it at nearly every appearance. Yet he tackles it here as zestfully as though for the first time. He sets a perfect medium tempo and only hints at the melody in his first solo chorus. The second is quite different and throughout, as always, he demonstrates that old-timers, what old-timers mean by a two-handed pianist. Although subsequently cut down to 10-inch side, this long performance originally appeared on a 12-inch, 78 RPM record. The additional playing time gave everyone a chance to solo, including guitarist Al Casey, one of the group's major assets, and Slick Jones on both drums and vibes. Thank you. 
Honeysuckle Rose with Fats Waller on piano, Bill Coleman on trumpet, Gene Sedrick on clarinet and tenor sax, Al Casey on guitar, Billy Taylor on string bass, Harry Dial on drums, and Slick Jones on vibraphone. It was recorded April 9th, 1937. All right, let's talk about the selection for this episode. Various artists... Jazz Masters of the Keyboard, Volume 1. It's on the Franklin Mint Record Society label, FM Jazz 009. It's the series, The Greatest Jazz Recordings of All Time, Institute of Jazz Studies Official Archive Collection. This is a four-vinyl LP compilation, red box, and vinyl box set. It actually has a Sweden for the country name. It was released in 1982. It is of the jazz genre, and we are listening to some Side one and two of disc one. All right, let's let's uh, read some of the liner notes from the booklet, um, and they do start under Fats Waller, so we'll learn a little bit about Fats as well. The art of jazz piano has had an existence surprisingly independent of jazz as a whole, partly because the piano is an instrument entire of itself. Unlike most of the other instruments used in jazz, it requires no accompaniment. But as soon as the piano was felt to be essential to jazz bands, its destiny was inevitably caught up with that of other instruments. Yet its continuing history can profitably be studied separately over the long span from ragtime to Cecil Taylor. The four pianists in this collection dominated the classic period of jazz and remain influential to this day. Fats Waller was born in New York City in 1904, Earl Hines in Duquesne, Pennsylvania in 1905, Art Tatum in Toledo, Ohio in 1909, and Teddy Wilson in Austin, Texas in 1912. Now, beside having ability as a performer, Waller was also a gifted composer. His compositions, Ain't Misbehavin' and Honeysuckle Rose, had undoubtedly impressed the Victor Record executives who signed him to an exclusive contract in 1934. All right, let's take a look at the value that Discogs.com has for this album. Uh, the lowest at $9.99, median at $24.99, and the highest at $53.26. Uh, Amazon had a copy for $54.95. You can see how rare some of these recordings are. Now, I couldn't find it on eBay, but I found it on a, U- on a UK website for 18 pounds sterling. It's about 25 bucks. Now, I would list my dad's record in fair condition. It's on the hissy side, and the box and set is still in in good to very good condition. And seeing those prices above, I might have to say its value is $5. That might be going overboard, too. All right, let's move on to the next tune. Anita is a charming number Waller wrote for his second wife, Anita Rutherford, whom he married in 1926. He sings it in a tender manner, the lyrics representing a sincere expression of sentiment. The four-bar exchanges between Autry's cup-muted trumpet and the dashing piano and double-time are intriguing, for they contrast melodic waltz time with Stride's ragtime echoes. Thank you. 
like blue skies above me I need you and love you I do Just what is this madness that gives so much gladness I know dear and feel dear it's you My dreams are bound to come true Gray skies will change into blue Your eyes will help see me through It's not a great big task Your love is all I ask My whole life was wasted Till your sweet lips I tasted I know now, repeat now I love you, Anita, I do Anita, with Fats Waller on vocals and piano, Herman Autry on trumpet, Chauncey Graham on tenor sax, John Smith on guitar, Cedric Wallace on string bass, and Larry Hinton on drums. It was recorded June 28, 1939. All right, let's learn about Fats Waller. Thomas Wright Fats Waller was born on May 21, 1904, in New York City. He learned to play piano at the age of six and within a few years was also learning the reed organ, string bass, and violin. After dropping out of school at around age 15, he became an organist at the Lincoln Theater in Harlem. Waller's father, Edward, a Baptist minister, was hopeful that his son would follow a religious calling instead of a career in jazz. However, the path to music became inevitable following the death of Waller's mother, Adeline, in 1920. Waller moved in with the family of pianist Russell B.T. Brooks, who introduced the youngster to James P. Johnson, founder of the Stride School of Jazz Piano. Waller made his recording debut in 1922 for OK Records with the solo efforts Muscle Shoals Blues and Binningham Blues. Shortly afterward, he released Squeeze Me, an important early work that established his bona fides as a songwriter. Waller continued to play organ at the Lincoln Theater while also taking engagements at theaters in Philadelphia and Chicago. In addition, he often starred at Harlem's famous rent parties, where he and his fellow musicians would essentially stage concerts in friends' homes. Larger than life with his sheer size and magnetic personality, Waller was known to enjoy alcohol and female attention in abundance. Waller became more involved with writing and performing for reviews in the late 1920s, starting with Keep Shufflin in 1927. He forged a strong collaborative partnership with Andy Razoff, with whom he wrote two of his most famous stage songs, Honeysuckle Rose and Ain't Misbehavin'. 
During this time, Waller also recorded such standards as Handful of Keys and Valentine Stomp as a soloist and Minor Drag and Harlem Fuss as leader of Fats Waller and his buddies. Walter branched out to radio with his New York-based shows Paramount on Parade and Radio Roundup from 1930 to 31 and the Cincinnati-based Fats Waller's Rhythm Club from 1932-34. After returning to New York in 1934, he began a new regular radio program, Rhythm Club, and formed the Fats Waller and his Rhythm Sextet. Waller appeared in two Hollywood films in 1935, Hooray for Love and King of Burlesque. However, while his fame was spreading, he reportedly had become disenchanted with the comedic irreverent persona that fans had come to expect from this broadcast, instead seeking more respect as a serious artist. He appeared to be making strong strides in that direction after a trip to England in 1938, recording the ambitious composition London Suite. Walter returned to Hollywood early in 1943 to film Stormy Weather with Lena Horne and Bill Robinson. After returning to New York, he began writing songs for another review, Early to Bed. Waller had maintained a heavy travel schedule into the 1940s, despite declining health, but the wear and tear eventually caught up with him. While, while returning home from another West Coast trip in late 1943, he contracted bronchial pneumonia an illness that silenced the beloved and influential jazz great for good during a stop in Kansas City on December 15, 1943. Now, let's add some sweetness to this show. Clarinet Marmalade is a Dixieland warhorse. Publishers were generally slow to recognize what the swing era was about, some saw it as an opportunity to reactivate old items such as this in their catalogs. To Waller, nearing the end of his recording career, there was to be a recording ban in 1943, it was just a vehicle for some uproarious jamming, in the course of which he seems to be remembering the exhortations of his school pals years before. What he does on the organ is to make it rock in a more outrageous manner than anyone had done up to that date, October 1st, 1941.
Marmalade, a 1918 Dixieland Jazz Standard composed by Larry Shields and Henry Ragas of the original Dixieland Jazz Band. On organ was Fats Waller, on trumpet John Hamilton, Gene Cedric was on clarinet and tenor sax, Al Casey on guitar, Cedric Wallace on string bass, Slick Jones on drum, and like I said in the intro, it was recorded October 1st, 1941. All right, time for this episode's interesting side note. Piano Cutting Contests. A cutting contest was a musical battle between various stride piano players from the 1920s to the 1940s and to a lesser extent in improvisation contests on other jazz instruments during the swing era. Up to the present time, the expression cutting in jazz is sometimes used, sometimes facetiously, to claim a new musician's technical superiority over another. Cutting contests first had a more earned meaning only among pianists and later existed for their own sake. Originally, to cut another piano player meant to replace them at their job by outperforming them. This serious form of rivalry ended by the 1920s when pianists began acquiring more stable engagements and basic ragtime and fast-shout piano evolved into the more improvised stride style, a term that began to be used in the 1920s. Cutting came to mean victory at a prearranged contest. These contests were usually held at Harlem Home rent parties, where an entrance fee, an entrance fee helped residents pay their rent. In the contests, often one pianist began a tune, then others took turns cutting in, introducing increasingly more complex ideas, changing the key and or tempo, and otherwise trying to outplay and outstyle the previous musician or musicians. The great stride pianist James P. Johnson and his rival Willie the Lion Smith often participated in cutting contests. However, they had so much respect for one another that their contests usually ended in draws, and they cut in only for humorous effect. Cutting contests continued into the 1940s. Art Tatum usually won the contests he engaged in, beating out such notable pianists as Fats Waller, Teddy Wilson, Count Basie, Earl Father Hines, Albert Ammons, uh, Harry Gibson, Pete Johnson, and the list keeps going on. Cutting contests also took place between blues musicians. An enduring form of the cutting contest is the trading tradition in jazz improvisation, where two or more musicians alternately play parts of solo choruses. Cutting contests are common events at tap dance festivals. Rap battles could also be considered a present-day form of the cutting contest. How about that? So let's go from cutting to lounging. Both Pazwanki, a tune you're going to hear here in a few moments, and Lounging at the Waldorf came from a highly successful 1936 session. In contrast to Pazwanki, Lounging at the Waldorf is played at a relaxed, medium tempo. Everyone works comfortably together, and Waller delivers a delightfully droll commentary on life in the famous hotel, including such lines as, Shut up, boy. You know they don't pass no chitlins around here. The genteel riffing in the last chorus is a subtly humorous touch. Thank you. 
I gotta believe that's the first recorded reference to boogity boogity boogity. There is Lounging at the Waldorf with Fats on piano and vocals, Herman Autry on trumpet, Gene Sedrick on clarinet and tenor sax, Al Casey on guitar, Billy Taylor on string bass, and Yank Porter on drums. Recorded June 8th, 1936. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you. I love this collection. Really love this album. It's got some great music on it. And you'll be hearing the other three keyboard masters in future episodes of Spinning My Dad's Vinyl. So stay tuned for those. Now, let's end with what I think is now my favorite tune off this record. A little bit more about that successful session in 1936. All six titles recorded on this date were Waller compositions, a fact that must have put the group in a good humor, if only because it was a change from the pitiful pop songs that usually confronted them in the studio. Pazwanki is taken fast and given an intensity swinging interpretation. Besides Waller pouncing's, Waller's pouncing right hand, consistently driving bass line, and encouraging cries to his cohorts, there are enthusiastic solos by Herman Autry on trumpet and Gene Cedric, the latter being responsible for the oddly effective single note punctuations. A reliable player with his entirely personal style, Cedric was reputedly once described by Waller as God's gift to the tenor sax. Ah, 
Wonky, with the same band and same recording date as the previous tune. Well, thanks for tuning into Volume 32, Jazz Keyboard Master Fats Waller, however you did. If you want more information about this podcast, head over to SpinningMyDad'sVinyl.com. I'll be back next week with all my skips, scratches, and pops with Volume 33, Tijuana Brass, Going Places. Until then, go with the flow, my friends. <laughs>